0: there and I do not know. This is the slide I wanted and I don't know why it's still doing Luke. So somehow if you can delete that one, that'd be ideal um, since we're not preaching on Luke today. Uh, we're in. We're talking about Mark and we're talking about being built to serve. And again, we're going to talk about like service and what that looks like and individual. And I think this is something that applies, something we really struggle with when we talk about like what am I built for and, wh- and what does that look like? So I, I, my guess is that when you talk about uh, jobs or vocations or things that you that you have done or that you're familiar with or things that you esteem. There's different ones that you would say fit more in the service-oriented uh, line of work than others. There's some that you would say maybe self-serving or something like that, but there's a lot of jobs that I think we would say fit into a category that we would say are service-minded. And you think of like a teacher who says, okay, this is what I wanna do, I wanna help raise the next generation. And then they're, they're a teacher that's a service-minded job. And I think one that we we appreciate and we, we look up to. Um, I think a of police officers, this is a service-minded job. Not a lot of... Um, not always people are always appreciative of a police officer, like if you're driving through Wyoming going 78 in the 70. What am I going to hit for crying out loud? Like, I mean, hypothetically, hypothetically. Um, I told the guy I was going to Deadwood, and Amy's like, why don't you say South Shore to your grandpa's farm? And instead I said Deadwood. He's like, oh, party town. I'm like, party town? Look at what's in the car. I've got two kids... I mean, hypothetically, right? And um, so th- this is my friends that are police officers that don't always appreciate it. They always, they always feel bad. Like the, the Friday is like the firefighters. I, if I was not a pastor, I'd be, a, I'd be a, a firefighter. Everyone loves the firefighters, but not everyone necessarily loves police officers that stop them. So these are a couple of jobs. And then I think it gets um, the EMTs. To me, that's a big win. Whenever I see accidents, I, I wouldn't say have like a soft stomach or anything like that, but when I go by and I know that someone, their job is to go and help those people in like in catastrophic and accidents and um, the things that go with it, I'm very thankful that I'm not doing that. I'm thankful for the people that are, are, are serving and doing those things. I'm thankful when I think about military as well. We have a number of military veterans here. And you just think about the service that they did. And uh, that is kind of the center of our story. This one, I think, it, did I go, I went the wrong direction maybe. I don't know how I did that. Can I go one more forward? There we go. Uh, This is, you recognize the Air Force Academy. That's where the story comes. So, 1977, there's a guy named William Crawford there. This is um, happened. He was in his 60s by this time. He's born in Pueblo. So, in 1912, he's born in Pueblo and he's working at the Academy. It seems like an enjoyable job. He was a custodian there. So, I think when we're talking about military and custodian, we'd say custodian is a service minded job. So, th- they're telling this story about while they're looking and uh, they're doing some research, they're one of the cadets in 77, and he's doing some research and he starts reading about World War II and things like this, and this is this um, kind of a fascinating story, I think. He runs across the, the work of the infantry. I got to look it up so I don't say the wrong things, because military guys would know if I did. Uh, Hill 424, for the 36th infantry division so they were trying to get this hill there's three machine guns that are they're kind of pinned down they can't get the hill and this is not going well so a guy named uh, a guy named private crawford goes and crawls on his belly he was a scout apparently and then takes out these machine gun nests so that they won the hill so it would pr- presume that he was killed in accident so he came back and they came, he was a POW, they assumed he died. They gave the Medal of Honor, which is pretty cool, to his father. So his father was still living. This is a special thing. So this cadet is reading about this, and he remembers his custodian named Mr. Crawford. And He goes, oh, this, I should ask him if he knows this guy. Has this ever happened to you? This happens when anyone has a really unique last name or something like that. If anyone has Oldenburg or uh, Lisemeyer, one of these like really kind of you. hey, do you know this person by chance? People ask me that all the time, no matter where it is in the country. They're like, oh, I met one in this place. I'm like, there's more than one Oldenburg. But... Uh, not many, actually. So, are, my family's from south of Chicago. That makes it sound really tough instead of Crete, Illinois, which is this tiny little town that had a Crete taco and donut that was right by the south of Chicago. But south of Chicago sounds like a, I got tough roots. I got tough roots. South side. And uh, so, so, where is it going? I was talking about something uh, worthwhile. So, um, so he, he goes to him. The Crawford is not a super, that's a fairly car- common name. So, he goes to this custodian, right? This, this older guy. And he says, hey. I was just reading about this private who um, like crawled on his belly, got a medal of honor. Do you know this guy who died in battle, this William Crawford? And he goes, yeah, it's me. And he's like, what? Yeah, yeah, it's me. And then all he said was, that was a day in my life a long time ago. And that's it. So like this mind-blowing story, this guy's a Medal of Honor recipient, and now he's like sweeping floors. Like this doesn't seem kind of extreme. You'd think someone's a Medal of Honor recipient, like they would have all this glory and all this thing. But instead, quietly doing his duty, And I think the beauty of it is he saw his work, and that's what we're going to talk about today, vocation, it, whether he's saving lives or if he's sweeping floors, he saw that in the same way. And that's one of the really, really unique things that happens in Lutheranism, is around the 1500s, is the way that you looked at jobs. And so I'm going to talk about how they viewed it then, and I don't think that's really a concern for us now, and I'll talk about where this is a struggle for us now to make it a little more applicable today. We say God's word for you every day. So we have a term today called expressive individualism, and you can kind of see that on the internet, you can kind of see that if you have, uh, which is many. you should have your right to express how you feel and who you are and be unique, Right? Um, I'm just reading a book and the lady wears a a red lipstick all the time and a hat all the time. What is she doing? She's expressing her individualism. And there was nothing besides that. Her grandma wore a hat, I think, and red lipstick. So she did. So that was, so I guess that's not totally individualistic, but um, you have this idea, right? So this is, you should be your own and you have shirts that say certain things and you have kind of your mottos and you have your stickers and you have things that are who you are. And I would guess if you, Um, this is a big deal. That was not meant to break. I got to wash the truck off, but that's going to be part of me. That's my grandfather's truck. I was really pumped. Uh, We went to South Dakota, almost died on the way back, uh, trying to tow things. If you don't tow things, don't tow things. Like this is not, it was a long trip, 15 hours instead of 10. 10. I got there in 10 as you can guess from my experience in wyoming so (laughs) we got there fast but we did not leave there fast but so this is a thing right and i say wow that'd be fun to drive that truck that would become part of me right you have a certain brand of coffee cup or something like that there's the kids see that same thing with what are they called hydro hydro flasks that's what they're called right why are you laughing at me i'm your father so right, but there's something that says, and they get to express their individualism, how do they do that? They put stickers on their hydroflask, so these are really expensive, take, take out a home equity loan and you get one of these water, things to hold water, which is free, and then you can put expensive stickers on them as well, so you can do that. But guys do that, the same thing, right, you get, you get trucks or you get cars, you get bikes that mean you, there's certain brands that you follow, there's shoes that you wear, all these things are, this all fits in that same thing. Well, it rolls into the way that we find our work. So the way that we're willing, we're willing to serve to some degree as long as it goes along with what, who we think we are as a person. And I know that's kind of vague, but I'll come back around to it. Uh, at the time of the, before the Reformation, so the Reformation starts happening in the 1300s, 1400s, and the main, main thing is happening in 1500s. And what was happening is they would view jobs in a different way. And they looked at this, keep this in mind, uh, uh, the mind of the umbrella of trying to get right with God. So when you tried to determine what job was good for you, you would weigh a couple things out, like, hey, what did my mom or dad do? And then you would start to say, like, where does this apply and how does this look for um, how this serves God? And they started to view things that said, if you serve God directly, you serve God directly, that means you have like a higher place when God views you and determines your salvation. So in, in the umbrella of trying to work your way to heaven, that's how they viewed it, instead of um, salvation by grace alone, they said, okay, I've got to do the right thing so God loves me, and part of that meant determining your job. So the ultimate jobs would be, as you could maybe guess, what's the closest thing in some theory of serving God? being like a priest at that time or being a nun these were a big big deal like this is a huge thing and if you could do one of those jobs that meant like you're really you're really handling it Martin Luther and some of the people at contemporary started to look at what they call vocation differently they started looking at as like a calling and here's a quote Uh, the idea that the service to God should have only to do with the church altar singing reading sacrifice and the like is without a doubt but the worst trick of the devil how could the devil have led us more effectively astray than by the narrow conception that service to God takes place only in the church and by the works done therein? The whole world could abound with the services to the Lord, God esteems, not only in the churches, but also in the home, kitchen, workshop, field. Okay, so this was a huge, huge thing. So he is trying to say, let's rethink, let's rethink how we look at our job and whatever job, wherever God has called you, that is your service to him. That's a valuable thing. This is a big thing that comes from the revelation. We would say salvation by grace alone, and I would say this is number two and how you view things. Now, my guess is, though, this is not what is going on in your mind. Hopefully, you're not saying, like, how do I earn my way to God? We've already taken care of that only through Christ alone. But when it comes to your job, my guess is most of you aren't thinking, like, this is part of the struggle. Maybe I should be a monk or a pastor or a nun This was so that I could have, so God would love me more. Is anyone thinking that? Nobody? That's good. That's good. That was a trick. That was a trick. So nobody is thinking that. I think where we struggle as a culture, and I kind of weighed this around a while, is that it gets down to this expressive individualism. So I'm going to give you some examples of these are real things, and I want you just to think you don't have to respond in any way. I want you to think in the back of your mind. Does does something rub you the wrong way? And this is probably the result of living in America with expressive individualism. All right, Uh, number one, a young man, I know this young man, got a 34, none of them involve my kids, just for the record. I just prayed for just above average kids so I didn't have the weight of having them to do like super amazing things. So uh, this young man, he got a 34 on his ACT. His parents don't help him at all. He has no money and he's gonna go to community college instead of trying to find a scholarship to another college. Number one. Uh, number two, a guy gets a perfect 1400. I believe that's perfect. It was never in the realm of my SAT stuff, but you got a perfect, is that right? That's perfect, right? What What is it now, 1600? Man, I thought it was killing it. <laughs> no, no, um, no, perfect 1600. On, they changed the test. It used to be 1400, right? I took the ACT, all right? Um, he got a perfect score on his SAT and he wants to be a pastor. I know another boy who, uh, he was the top 1% of 1%. So Stanford, when he was a young man, like not even a young man, he was like six seven, came all the way to where he lived to test him because he was the top 1% of 1%. So when you say, like you're doing these tests and you're like, wow, I got in the top 90%. He got like way, way, way up there. So smart and he wants to be a pastor. I got another example. Uh, Mom went to school for uh, a, a woman went to school, a young lady got, went to school, finished her degree, and instead of going to work, decided to stay home with her kids. Got another one for you, and this has happened multiple times with this specific, um, specific job. And I not know ju- um, the person went to school, so not only did they get like their undergraduate degree, but they're also a qualified was RN, registered nurse, and they don't want to be a nurse anymore. What about you? Have uh, one of the top athletes in the whole state decides they want to go to Division three school instead of trying to get a scholarship and do where they can play? So, what is your feeling on some of these things? How many of you said, "Hey, whatever they want to do, go ahead." How many of you, in the back of your head, if it was your own family or your own wife or your own husband or your own child, would be going, "Oh, I think this is the bigger struggle that we have as a culture." when we talk about the value of work and where we place things it has nothing to do with like the ultimate is to be a pastor or a nun or something like that i don't think that enters our brains as proof that none of you raised your hands but i think the real issue is when we look at someone we look at our own abilities when we look at ourselves and we look at other people we say what is your potential and what could you really be doing and that determines And and if you actually fulfill that, that determines if you're really living the way. That That means you're calling. You're really doing what you should be doing. I think a reformation today, if we look at it, when we start talking about vocation, is the same words that we just looked at. Your value and your job is not how the world views that job. Your value in sports is not how the world views that job. It's how God views that. And the very short version, if you doze off for the rest of it, is simply this. God has called you and put you in a place. And you can serve God no matter where that is and what that is. This is hard for me. I like to, you know, like my wife would say that. Like you just keep setting the bar and set the bar. With my own kids, you know, I push and I push and I push. It is really a struggle if one of them said, this is what I want to do with my life and it didn't fit what I said, as, like their potential of what they could do as a dad, looking at what they could do. That would be really, really hard for me. I look at what Jesus says. So not only has this been going on since the 1500s, um, this goes on a little bit earlier, and this is a section I want to look at. This is Mark chapter 10. So Jesus called them together. We're going to look at the end of it, this is kind of in the middle, and then and go back to the beginning. So Jesus called them together. He said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them right so he's this is i'm using as an example but there was a time where people looked at jobs a certain way and if i started to say professions and i started to say jobs and they started to say things about your family or your kids or your spouse i'm guessing because of the way the world looks at it that you would be more or less proud would i be really proud if one of my kids got a sports scholarship that's a big deal in our world especially around here if you talk about it other parts of the country it's not as big a deal but if you'd say and specific sports are even a big deal would i be really proud if one of my kids got a full ride academically would it be really proud if one of my kids got like went all the way through and became i'm afraid to even name anything right to name and sometimes uh, maybe it is a pastor or a nurse or a doctor or a lawyer or a teacher like there's certain things what happens if they became the ceo of a company do you think I won't name drop that when I was just mentioning things? Like, you know, I'm just like, yeah, my daughter's a CEO. Yeah, I'll have the muffin, right? I mean, that's, that's exactly right. And like, this would be a big deal. How would I feel about that same daughter if she was the one giving me the muffin? You know, and she's 43. Would I be just as proud to say that she is using her abilities and she's serving God wherever she is at? And I think some of you have struggled with this. My guess is some of you have really struggled with this when you talk about your own job and maybe you went to school and this, this happens and I'm, I've seen this happen three different times. I said with one profession that they said, I don't want to do this anymore and I don't know what to do. Like I just don't enjoy it. I don't find joy in the work that I'm doing. You know, it's money, but I don't, I want to do something else. And I think some of you have struggled with this because your parents, the way that they viewed your job. And if you read any of these things, you're, you know there's certain things that your parents wanted you to do, and maybe you just did it anyway because that's what your parents wanted you to do. It turned out okay, but I think if you'd go back in time, you'd say, you know what? If I had a choice to roll back time and I didn't care at all what my parents said, I'd probably have done something different. Right? How many of us would raise our hand a little bit because our parents guided us, or our grandparents, or a teacher said, you know what? You should really be doing that, and you said, no, this is what I want to do, and they're like, is that really? that really doing all you can with the gifts God has given you, right? It even gets into the spiritual conversation. So I want to look at how Jesus says this. He's basically saying, don't treat other people and lord it over them. Don't act like the world acts. And this is kind of a theme that Jesus said. And this is the phrase he uses. And I want you to think about this. Not so with you. So now we're going to rewind the story. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him, to Jesus, and said, Teacher, they asked. We want you to do for us whatever we ask. That's how I talk to God too, right? (laughs) Dear Lord, I want you to do whatever I want. I never phrase it quite that way, but that's kind of what I mean by my prayers, right? Dear Lord, can you do this for me, please? So this is what's happening. James and John, the brothers. They come, and my favorite story is in the Matthew account. I should have maybe pulled that up, is they get their mom to ask, which is pretty awesome. If you're going to talk to God, you get your mom to ask, and their mom says, "Will you put one of my sons on the right and one on your left. So I don't know how this all went down, but it seems like maybe this was a conversation that they had with their mom, and their mom's like, all right, fine, I'll ask. And they're like, yeah, yeah, do it, do it, do it. And what do you want me to do for you? They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in glory. That's what we're looking for, Lord, which is pretty exclusive. How many spots of honor are there in glory? There's only the right and the left, did you know that? There's not like up and down and front and back. There's not like six available and they're like, we just want, you know, like two of those spots. They're saying right, which is the best spot, and then the left. Can you put us at the ideal spots in glory? Can you let us be recognized, right? Because we're serving and you wonder what is going through their mind. Because they had to make a choice to be a disciple. And you picture the mom asking, like, dear Lord, These are my best sons. These were the good ones, right? James and John, they could have owned the fishing business. It could have been James and John fishing. They could have run all of Galilee, but instead they follow you. How about a little something for the effort, right? Caddyshack, he said, like, you know, I didn't get a tip, but how about something for the effort? That's essentially what is happening. They're saying, hey, can they at least be recognized? So Jesus says, you don't even know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup I will drink, which is talking about as suffering, or be baptized with the baptism I'm going to be baptized with? <laughs> of course we can. These guys couldn't have been that old. Uh, of course we can, they answered. And Jesus said to them, You will drink the cup I will drink and be baptized with the baptism I am, I am baptized with, but to sit on my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. And Jesus is implying that these are a place of honor. Something is happening. There's some commitment. There's something that's going to happen to this individual. Are you ready to experience that? They're saying, Of course we can. And Jesus says, I don't think you know. When the ten heard about this, which I think is really unique, when the ten hear about this, they became indignant. They became angry with James and John. So there's a couple of theories, and I think there's a couple of possibilities. So think in your head, why would they be angry with James and John? We had a couple. A couple of smirks in the back. There's a couple of possibilities. Um, one is that the audacity that they could actually do this and ask Jesus. Like, that is so, guys, grow up. Really? And you send your mom. I mean, like, this is so pathetic. Like, this has happened before, right? So you imagine the story of the prodigal son and the other brother there when the younger brother goes and said, hey, dad, I wish you were dead. Can I just have my half of the money? As, as, as a brother, you'd be like, are you kidding me? Like, that is so... But I don't think that's why they're mad. How many of you have brothers and sisters? How many of you had, like, a car for each of you when you were teens? You get to raise your hand. My daughter has a car just for my own convenience. So, so we have, th- but when I was a kid, we had five kids, which meant like you had the station wagon, which was obviously a prime choice, right? It was 1978. It went from here to the back wall. It was incredible. And um, so we had that station wagon. And then we also had like the cool car, which was, everyone knows the cool car, the Nissan Sentra, right? This is, this is pretty nice, which was uh, replaced, that replaced the Plymouth Horizon, which has anyone seen that car, it's pretty lit. So, these are the vehicles we had. So, this is what happens. We, we would be teens, and you'd have to play your cards right if you wanted to use the car. Like, if I wanted to go, Amy and I have been dating since 14 and 15. So, if I wanted to go on a date, I had to work the cards just right. So, that means I'd clean my room. You know, I'd kind of do stuff around the house. And I'd look for the opportune moment, and I would go to my parents and be like, hey, think I think uh, I, could I borrow the car tonight and use it? This is, that's how you play it, right? When you have multiple people going for it. How would I feel if I was about to go? You know, I laid all the cards just right, and my brother swoops in and says, "Hey, can I use a card tonight?" And then they're like, "Sure," and I'm like, "What?" I would be indignant. I think the disciples are not mad because they're so appalled that that they that they asked this question. I think they're indignant because they beat him to it. And they said. God, you've got to be happy with me because we've served and we've loved and we're doing all these things for you. They just missed their chance, right? They're cleaning the room. They're setting the stage just right because they really wanted God to recognize them in glory. So it continues. They called them together. You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you Must be your servant and whoever wants to be first must be a slave of all for even the son of man did not come to be served but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many the christ is saying very simply guys you want to know what glory is and 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 i think that when we put it in the perspective of not in the, the idea of serving god directly right obviously jesus did that but i think when you think about the potential that jesus had he was the wisest person who ever walked the earth He's the smartest person that ever walked the earth. He's, uh, he had all things under his hand, and you think, like, what would you do with that? And I think some of us have done the same thing. Have you ever just daydreamed, like, if you had the abilities of someone else, what you would do with it? Like, what if I was that smart? What would I do with that? Or what if I had that much money? Or what if my parents had all kinds of cash? Like, what would I do if I had some kind of inheritance or something like that? What would I do with that? You ever ask yourself that? Jesus literally had Everything. And he comes to earth, and what is his goal? He finds joy and glory in serving, not for us to all find praise to him. He says, here's where I'm going to find my glory. I'm going to lay that all aside, and I'm going to serve every single one of you. And he's going to serve and die, not just for his own sins. He has zero, but he's dying for our own selfishness that says, God, I want to be recognized. I want to, the world to see me as being someone who's great. I want people to look up to me. And I want to be recognized, maybe in glory, but I kind of want to be recognized right now so that when I go to the street and I meet people and and I say what I do or where I'm from or where I went to school, that people go, wow, that's pretty awesome. Jesus is saying that has nothing to do with your glory. Glory comes when you take all these things and you say, my goal is ultimately to serve other people. There's a phrase that they used at that time, and Martin Luther used it again. He said, fingers, I prefer hand of God. But he basically said that God does not need our good works, but our neighbors do. And so from God's perspective, Christ has played completely for your salvation. He's forgiven our selfishness and this desire to say, like, I want the world to see who I am. And God has put you in this place wherever you at. And he says, I want you to find joy in that service. So what does it look like? Some of you are placed as a parent right now, right? And you had all the potential in the world to do amazing different things. Maybe you have a degree and a master's degree or whatever it is and you say, you know what? I, maybe your career looked better than your husband's and you said, you know what? I want to stay home with my kids. You do not have to feel bad on one moment because God has placed you where you're at and he said, this is your calling. And what that looks like is loving and serving and changing diapers and feeding kids. Maybe it looks like uh, not stealing time from your boss when you're at work. That is the way that I love and serve God. Maybe it looks like giving dignity to the employees or the people under you, right? You could lord it over them and you could have power and everyone go like, be afraid when you walk in the room, but maybe it means giving them dignity. Maybe it means you own a business and you pay people more than you'd ever expect so that they can go and they can feel and they can go home and they can look in the mirror and say, I'm doing a good job and and I got a good wage and I'm doing all right. Maybe it means like when they see you They see someone who has the heart of Christ with all this potential. And they said, this is what I'm going to do to love and serve. You see, William Crawford, I I would assume he's a pretty talented guy, and I would assume he has all these things, but that's a thing behind him, right? His glory is in his past. The Medal of Honor is no big deal. Now he sweeps and he cleans up after cadets. The things that we do, do not necessarily, the world is not going to bow and be amazed at these things. But Christ sees these things. The beauty of the vocation is it does not matter what your expression is it doesn't matter your abilities but god says i have put you here for a reason and but i putting here i mean with other people so god how can i love you by loving my kids and loving my fellow coworkers and build them up how can i love my boss how can i love the customers that come and you just give them a great experience god says that gives me joy because you're using your gifts to love the world God does not need our good works, but our neighbor does. You were built to serve. And I think what we leave here today with is is living in God's grace. We get a chance to walk outside these doors and say, Whom has God put in front of us and how can I love them? Amen. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, a lot of us struggle with this. We struggle with our own potential. We struggle about what we could have done or should have done. We struggle with jealousy as we look at other people's jobs. We look at other people's status. We look at how the world views what they do. And we think, what if I had that? What if I had that recognition? We know that you recognize who we are. And just by that, we have dignity no matter what that is. Does that mean we're picking up garbage? Does it mean that we're a CEO? Does it mean we own a company? Uh, Does it mean that we're mopping floors? Does it mean that we're changing diapers, or does it mean we're going off to work to try and provide for our family? No matter what it is, the beauty of your message is because we already have value in you as forgiven children, we have value in what we do. Uh, give us joy and encourage to continue to do that and continue to, to look outside ourselves and to serve people, to become a servant of all just as you did. You laid down in your life the ultimate price to, to buy us back, so now give us joy as we get to live for you. We ask this in your name. Amen.